Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. begins right now. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Brian Kelly, and Guy Adami. Tech front and center for your money as we gear up for a huge week of earnings. We'll break down the key names that need to be on your radar. Big tech executives wrapping up a big meeting at the White House right now in Huawei. We'll take it live to Washington with the very latest. And Whirlpool whiplash. The stock's seeing a big reversal after hours despite an earnings beat. We'll tell you what analysts are saying about this move. But we begin with the most important week of earnings season. More than 130 S&P 500 companies reporting results, including three big bang names, Facebook, Amazon, and Google. So we thought we'd play a, new, a game. A new Love game. This stuff. Yeah. The it's good, scary. bad, oh, and the ugly in this week's tech reports. Wow. Of those names, Facebook, Amazon, and Alphabet, which is the good, the bad, and the ugly? It's a new game, guy. We're depending on you. This is a new it's game. A, yeah. Yeah. And yet an old song. Yeah. I mean, yes, yeah. yes, a classic song. Can you song, name any you of the actors in Good, Bad, the Ugly? Why do you ask me questions? Wow. You know I don't know. Okay, exactly. enough. so. Oddly enough, uh-huh. Liz, and, and I'm glad to be here on a Monday, I'm very excited to play this new game. The way you line them up on the screen is the way I would line them up in my head. The good will be Facebook. Why is that? Well, you know what? All the... I like that when they do that. They the whistle, too. All the good, you know, every the bad news they've thrown at it doesn't matter. The stock made a 50% correction of a recent move when it traded down 164 on huge volume. I've said for a while I don't want to like it, but I think it's going to retest the old highs. That's the good. The bad, Amazon. Not because necessarily the quarter's going to be bad, but I think the price action might be. You know, we pushed up against those levels. We saw September, I believe, of last year, 2025. I think there's potential for a double top. That's why that's the bad. And the ugly, as much as I hate to say it, and Karen's not going to like me for this, I think Alphabet might be the ugly. And it's going to be the ugly because, quite frankly, over the last three or four quarters, it's been exactly that. I don't see any reason why it's going to change now. Do you think Facebook could be the ugly? I, th- I, I think it could be the meh. Right. I could. I, it could because <laughs> That's not really I, it's an option not in quite the game, game Karen, but, but all right. I, I'm <laughs> going to take a little liberty. I, you know, and I am long, and you, so it sort of begs the question, Aaron, if you're long and you're not that excited about earnings, why are you still long? I th- to me, it's a much bigger story than one or two quarters. I don't like that last quarter at all. There was a lot to not like about it. And I don't know that it'll turn around right away. I'm not wildly optimistic about it. However, the valuation at this level is so compelling to me that I feel like I can wait a while and just see how. I mean, this is an extraordinary business trading. If you if you back out the cash at 16 times earnings, 16 times for this kind of business, that's extraordinary. So I'm going to hang on to that. I'm nervous about it for sure. Facebook, I'm in guys camp. I'm more optimistic about that. Um, and and Google, you gotta you gotta do a better job explaining yourself if you have another another week quarter, which you might, which is okay. That happens. 
but we need more explanation if it does. Well, I, I guess, you know, I fit somewhere in the middle. I, I tend to agree on, on, on Google with Karen, but, you know, Guy had Amazon, I believe, as his the bad. bad. Yeah. Um, he had Facebook as his good and his Google as his ugly. So my good would actually be Amazon. My bad mm-hmm. would actually be Facebook. Yeah, that's and that's what, what makes markets. Market, right. Which right. makes a good, fast money yeah. show. Here's why Amazon, I think, is good. They, they focused on profitability over the last, you know, four or five quarters, much to, uh, I think, you know, at times disappointment because people finally were looking at this company as a growth company that stopped growing. And how do you how do you have this multiple? But but ultimately, I, I do think that they're going to start to give you kind of north of, of 20 percent FX neutral growth again. And I think that's really the issue. I, I think when I when when I look at Facebook, um, despite the fact that it's been and maybe because of it's been such a great run for the stock, uh, the realities around the regulatory environment that the Libra coin is not a game changer for them revenue wise anytime soon. Um, and that you have a case where I actually think that their, their guidance on the expense and the expense margins continues to go through the roof. I mean, that would that would probably be my ugly if it wasn't for Google, which I do think is a great company and agree with Karen. The problem with Google right now and what makes this quarter ugly, not the company and not the valuation, not a long position I have, is that I do think that there continues to be margin compression. And, and then Google Properties, which is supposed to be this exciting growth engine of all these great little things they own, frankly, last Last quarter was 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 showed deceleration, and I think it's going to be below 20% again. So until they give me something out of YouTube, and until the regulatory environment changes, I think it's tough sledding. I mean, does does the setup going in terms of the price action of the stock into earnings play a role into what it you does decide to be good, bad, it, and it ugly? Does, it does for me, absolutely. So you've taken something like Google, which is my ugly, that has lagged behind all these others. We're talking about other stocks that are near near their highs. Maybe they're going to do double tops. Maybe they're going to break out. Google has lagged behind. So put that one in the ugly care uh, category until it proves itself. The other two, I think, are a little trickier. Facebook has had some decent action price action recently, um, but also the news has been terrible on it, really, right? I mean, they've been completely under attack. Libra and the and the Libra coin and Cut Libra is probably several years away. They're trying to combine it to make it this, with trying to compete with WeChat, this kind of super app internationally. So until that's resolved, I think there's going to be a cloud over it, but the price action's pretty decent. So put that in the middle. What is the middle of the No, there uh, is no middle. Well, yeah, yeah there is. There's three. Good. There's, so there's a lot of good and right. ugly. Pretty a bad and a, and a, a, and a very bad. Good and ugly. Ground. Right. So right. You think so Facebook I'm going to go, with, but and then I'll, so Facebook's the bad, uh-huh. and then the good. If I had a fistful of dollars, I would buy Amazon. Oh, you see what he did there? Uh, yeah, you see what I did? Yeah, that's a thinker. I, I, that I got that. I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. That's a movie, right? One of the movies. Yeah. 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 Okay. Clint Eastwood. Very sure. good. Yeah. Sure. One of the actors, by the way. Um, would you rank them the same way? If. If the price action going into the earnings report weren't different. So you're changing. You're changing. I'm, the just, game. You're, no, I'm, right. just, I'm just wondering because when I asked wasn't that part of the question? Yeah, I mean, that is... That you, is, is it about the earnings themselves? Going into the earnings. Right. Right. So I guess the question is, how I was, was your ranking... Uh, That's a your, great question. So, Amazon, okay, so no, I'll, I'll play along with your reindeer games there, <laughs> young lady. If, if Amazon was still floundering at that $1,800 level, where it traded down to, by the way, last uh-huh. quarter, I might give it a little bit of because a different rating. Because you think rating. the earnings report ultimately is going to be decent, but is the setup going in, the that run was, in the stock? That's How what, about the run was, in the stock and Facebook going into but, earnings? And it's a little different because okay. of all the bad news. You had that flush to the downside. Retest the highs, traded down to 164. 
50% retracement on monster volume. Now the stock, with a myriad of bad news, has only gone higher, which in my book makes that the good. I don't understand how the price action for any company, if we're talking about price action, and we have a great chartist who I know is going to come here and put it Ooh. really in his own words. But but ultimately, if you've got uh, a, a company like Amazon, which is near all-time highs again, has traded, you know, if you look at that chart, it's almost been a uh, essentially a move to the next level higher. And, and if you think about what Facebook did, these are both reasons why people, I think, should be cautious. Now, of course, I was well, positive. I was good on Amazon and I was bad on Facebook. But Facebook's move, Brian, I, I think you pointed it out. I mean, if Libercoin is something that um, if only invites more regulatory hassle for the company, right. gave it a, a I, I don't know, is it 30 billion in market cap based upon that move? Um, for what? For something that's not going to move the needle? Yeah, for me, I, 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 for me, it goes to sentiment. I think that's what you're talking about, right? What is the sentiment going into the print? When I look at Amazon and I look at what the earnings estimates are compared to where we were the last time we were up at these prices, earnings estimates are lower. So therefore, people aren't as expecting aren't ex, aren't expecting as much out of Amazon. So there's more of a potential for an upside surprise, in my view. So that's how I view it. All right, let's settle this score. Do it. A lot of disagreement as to what the good and the bad and the ugly is going to be. Do here. What are the charts saying will be the good, the bad, and the ugly in this week's FANG reports? The chart master, Carter Worth, is here to break it down. Hey, Carter. Well, I'm not sure I can break any ties or settle it because, as we know, everything you said was very subjective. It's a lot of opinion, and so, too, it is with charts, meaning you can draw the lines different ways. Different charters come up with different conclusions. But since I'm the chartist standing here, let's draw them the way I'm going to draw them. And I would start with the following. Always no drawings, no charts, uh, and now something to bring it to life. What we know, and there's no way around this, right, is that Amazon, and you discussed this, has returned to its former high. And this setup typically, you call it an ascending wedge or whatever, represents a lot of tension. And my thinking here is that this is the good, and that Amazon is going to break out, it's going to exceed this high. Backing and filling is normal. When you first approach a high, you contend with it, then you exceed it. So Amazon's the one that I think is the best of the three. Moving on. Let's go another way to look at the charts. Some people like to call them cups and handles. But either way, it's the same premise. That this setup, you get to the high, you back away, you reapproach the high, that it gets resolved higher. Second is Google. Now this is just a big old mess. We know, and you spoke of this, the double top. Put in some lines. It's not only a double top, it's a double bottom, and basically the thing is all over the place. It's not, um, it's not rewarding winners, it's not rewarding uh, losers, it's not a buyable, it's not sell. And notice the gapping and dropping. This is the problem. But most problematic, next chart for Google, it's all about alpha. This stock made new two-year relative lows as recently as four or five weeks ago, meaning it's not performing. And that is a, a factor that comes back as very robust in, in almost all back tests. And then the one that's sort of in the middle, my bias again is the downside, is Facebook. And the issue with Facebook is this. I'm going to try to zoom in here. It's all of these gaps. So that's a gap, yes? Well, there's another gap. Here's a huge gap. The problem with this action is, like is that this is almost schizophrenic. Basically, you have the following. A gap down, a gap down, and then we have, of course, a gap up, a gap up, a gap up, a gap up. Is the next one down? This is almost untradeable. Uh, my bias here, although this is the one in the middle of the road, is down. So it's Amazon, from my point of view, is best in class. So Amazon, then Facebook, 
than Alphabet. Then Google. Carter, why don't you come on over to the desk? Yeah. We'll bring the chair over. Did uh, any of us match up? Love the gap. You were, yeah, um, you and I matched well, up. There yeah, we go. I like that. Nice. Uh, Google's the ugly. Yeah. 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 No, I think that was Karen, exactly what I was. So, Carter, explain to us the, the gaps. Right. How well, do you so, think about the well, gaps? Well, there, uh, think about what uh, security, if you, when a market opens, right, your markets used to open late. They'd have halted specialists trying to match up if you had an overwhelming number of buyers or sellers. Now most stocks open quite quickly, right, almost on the, on the open. To have so much selling pressure, the biotech FDA phase three did not come through, and the stock's indicated down 20%. That's what a gap is, down or a gap up. You get FDA approval, meaning you need shocking news. That would be the most shocking FDA approval, right, of anything, to have a security gap up or gap down. What's happened in Facebook is there's so many gaps. It turns out that the quarterly reporting is almost unanalyzable. It turns out that every time someone's got it right, there's another person's got it wrong, and it's a highly volatile, highly schizophrenic situation. Um, but having a, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, having no, no, a couple no. of those gaps to the downside been all about an earnings announcement? Well, that's where right. in fact, they gave you, you know, some and, reason. And, and it could, it and could happen again. And to the upside, again. though. And to the well, upside. That's right. Things. Which right. makes it, it, it was such a fascinating thing because this is one of the most well-observed companies in the world, and yet, somehow, all the Q's and K's, all the DCF, all the dividend discount models can't predict the results. And that's the whole hope, that somehow you can analyze it and predict what's happening. Turns out nobody can. So Carter, let's talk volume on some of these moves, right? I look at Amazon, where it was the last time. Volume seems to be declining on average at these new highs. Does that factor into your analysis well, at all? Well, you want to approach the high on heavy volume, and then when you back and fill, you want the volume to dry up, because there's no real selling pressure. It means you stuck your landing. And then most breakouts are associated with big volume, if and as you do start to exceed the highs. Uh, I want to ask you about Netflix, which is the one stock that has already reported of the FANG stocks. It's been terrible since it reported earnings. Right. And, and, you know, in a way, that was a testament to relative strength. So think about Netflix price action, if you have it in your mind's eye, if you're looking at a chart right now uh, at home. Um, a huge move in January and then dead flat February, March, April, May, June. Dead flat in a period where almost all equities are going straight up. That was the problem. Relative strength. It was foreshadowing that something was wrong. And then, of course, it gapped down on its earnings. Right. It's news-related. And I would say even here, it's to be avoided. To be avoided. Even now. Yeah. Wow. All yeah. right, Carter, thank you. Thanks. Carter Braxton, we're at the Cornerstone Magro. Outside of earnings, we are continuing to follow a developing story in the oil market. Brent jumping again today as tensions rise in the Middle East. New video released by Iran's Revolutionary Guard shows the dramatic moment when soldiers seized a British oil tanker in the Strait of Hormuz on Friday. So with Mideast tensions mounting, why aren't we seeing a bigger reaction in the price of oil? Or would oil be a lot lower without these tensions? You know, we talked about, point. I think, this on Friday. Why isn't oil higher? I think, you know, five or ten years ago it would have been significantly higher. I think mm-hmm. the world has changed. I don't necessarily think geopolitical is as much a proxy to make oil go higher as it was a decade or so ago. So I think it actually makes sense. To answer your question, would it be lower? I don't think it would be anywhere. Probably be sort of meandering where it is now. I'm surprised, if you want to go second level, that the broader market hasn't sold off, didn't sell off today, frankly, on the back of all this. I think people are discounting it. And again, I'll say it again, a VIX at 14 or wherever we are now, prior to this was too cheap. Now with all this happening, I think it's really just too cheap. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, if you look at oil prior to this, it was a well-supplied market, right? And particularly if you're talking about an economy, a global economy that's slowing. Some of the biggest buyers out there, obviously China, that's slowing down. So you don't have as much demand for it. So I was actually surprised you didn't see oil up. I thought it'd be up four or five percent today. I thought that could be very easily it. But to me, it just goes to to what the uh, investors in oil are thinking is that, you know what? 
we've got plenty of oil, the economy isn't that great, the demand's not going to come in there, and so perhaps this is a one-off. You know, if you talk about war in the Middle East, that doesn't do pretty much anybody any good. Iran certainly doesn't want it. We certainly don't want it. So perhaps they're thinking there's some sort of resolution here as well. I mean, Guy mentioned volatility. I mean, it's yeah. amazing. We have this huge earnings week. We've got Middle East tensions and the VIX came down 6% today. I know. At 13 and a half it yeah. went out. That is, uh, that is amazing to me. So I'm long puts. I'm happy to own them at this price. I, I, I agree. I, you would think in days past, years past, oil would have moved substantially. But I think that uh, as Brian said, neither side wants war. They do, both know that it's just talk. I believe that it's just talk. And so we're seeing this muted response. I'm very surprised the, market, the market's up today. S&P's up 12. Yeah, as far as oil goes, um, supply disruption does not work in a period when you've got global growth concerns. And, and we've seen this over and over again. And the times when actually you saw a gap uh, higher on this kind of news, really, or a sustainable gap higher, was when actually there was underlying demand. You actually were in, in the commodity super cycle. So uh, interesting, though, uh, on a relative basis. Again, the, the underperformance of the energy sector and the energy stocks is even more extreme when you look at the oil services sector. So you had Halliburton report today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and while uh, the numbers were not good. Um, they were better than expected. In fact, Halliburton gaps up over 7% today on the fact that um, they, they effectively, their profitability in a very poor environment means these guys are running much more efficiently, and that seems to be the story. Stock's down 51% year over year. Um, so relative to the market, again, the underperformance is, is staggering. All right. We'll hear much more about the rising tensions in the Middle East and the impact on the oil market. Be sure to catch our interview with retired four-star Army General David Petraeus. That's tomorrow, noon Eastern time on CNBC. Coming up, we got your call of the day. Goldman Sachs getting bullish on the chip stocks, but is it too little too late? We'll debate that. And later, the one stock that could be a big canary in the coal mine for Ford. We'll bring you that name ahead. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Micron surging today after Goldman Sachs upgraded the chip maker to a buy. It is our call of the day. Goldman getting bullish on the chip, saying in part Micron will trade on positive memory pricing trends. The stock is up uh, already more than 40 percent over the past month. So do you chase here, Tim? Well, I, you know, and let's let's note the difference in the in the chip stocks. It's one thing to be bullish on memory. It's another thing to be going after some of the the, the higher tech chips and look at gaming and look at the cyclicality of the sector overall. Which which you know, if you want to be cynical, you can say, hey, you know, that's great for Goldman upgrading semis after they've moved 21 percent in the last 34 days. Except for the fact that the one part that they've upgraded is the part that's really underperformed. So um, the, the 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 argument here for Micron is that a you know. A reduction in supply coming out of the Toshiba outage is something that should be bought and that you, you've actually worked through some of the oversupply just for this alone. Um, valuation is not a reason to buy these stocks. Uh, and, and as I talk to the, the you know, I think the, the broader base of that sector, I do actually think that semis are starting to price in almost perfection in not only a trade deal, but a recovery in cyclicality. And I think it looks a little, little bit ominous here. And you can make an argument, we're right back up at that top where we failed a couple times. There's a lot of calls. I mean, part of this call was Goldman also upgrading 
uh, downgrading, excuse me, Marvell. Intel getting a downgrade and AMD getting an upgrade over Atlantic Equities. And where would you go? Yeah, here? so it was a little more nuanced than just a, gen, just a general semis upgrade, right? And what I thought was kind of interesting is when you look at some of Goldman's other research where they're talking about maybe the market has topped out the market in general. If you really thought that you were going to have this semi-surge higher, uh, you would say, you know, the whole market's going to go higher. So maybe there's better places to go. I look at Micron close to $50. That's where it broke down before. I, I don't think you're discovering any new anything new. You're not Lewis and Clark here. So for me, Lewis I think you get a, a chance to buy a little bit lower. Nice. Fantastic. Well, I agree with what Tim said about, you know, it's pricing in a lot of optimism on the China deal and a lot of optimism on the on the, the U.S. economy, global, but mainly U.S. economy. So I'm nervous about both of those things. So to me, um, you know, they're all going to move together. And, and I just I don't have a lot of exposure to the space. You know, we, we talked about this. Micron was definitely too cheap at 32 and a half. We had those conversations, you know, reported earnings. The earnings were not great, but we talked about how it made sense. Now, with that said, I thought it would absolutely fail at 39 and a half. As a matter of fact, a couple of options actions ago, if you may recall, mm. Coco mm. Beware and I did a little bit of a tag team. Yeah, Coco and we Beware. and I picked the stock. Don't get mad at Mike. It was me. But we had a bearish bet on Micron. Clearly, that's not working out. Mm. With that said, though, we've been pretty steadfast. Some other names. Xilinx reports, I believe, on Wednesday. That sets up pretty well under earnings. But the one that you should take a look at and maybe start taking some money off the table is Lamb Research. Look where it traded up to in May. Look where it traded down to. Look where it is now. Look, the stock's had a tremendous run, but to take profits in Lamb Research right now makes some sense to me. You'll notice a headline at the bottom of your screen, Apple's in advance talks to buy Intel's uh, smartphone modem business. Uh, we are seeing shares of Intel trade higher in the after-hour session now to the tune of two and a quarter percent. Um, Tim, you're mentioning various parts of the supply chain. Right, right. Intel gets rid of this business. Good for Intel? Yeah, I think, you know, this is a failed start for them. And again, remember, Intel was trying to very hard to get themselves into the handset business or, or be a major part of the handset business. And I'm not sure what this does for Apple. I, I will say, um, if you listen to distributor Arrow, who, you know, just last week, um, basically gave poor guidance for the first time in, in 15 quarters. Um, it tells you they're actually seeing in components uh, really a lot of weakness, and, and they're actually seeing a, a buildup in inventory. So I, I do think it's a case where there's, there's below the surface, there's a lot of different stories to be told. But, but, but this headline is very interesting, I think, from the Apple side. And yeah. Qualcomm trading down. Qualcomm is trading couple, lower. Yeah. Okay. Four, yeah, I mean, the theory, I guess, being that Apple will move away from from buying chipsets elsewhere and go right. to its but, own business. But the signaling for Apple, this is a company that is supposed to be going into the services. It's supposed to be growing that. We've all been waiting to find out what they're going to do in that area. Now all of a sudden to come out and start buying a chipment bigger. I get strategically why they're doing it. They want to they lock in that supply chain. I understand that. But I actually think Apple would be up a heck of a lot more if they bought somebody else out. Let's say they bought Square or something like that. That type of business, I think, would make a big difference. It doesn't preclude the other. And if they can get their costs down on the hardware side, that Where could would improve. Be Gigantic for them. The well, I mean, they can do I mean, it, they can afford yeah. it, but that's a very big they, deal. But they need, the problem with Apple is they don't really don't have an app. That's great, right? We're all talking about these services, but on my phone, I can look at a bunch of different apps, and none of them are Apple apps because they're not the best out there. But you're buying Apple's them on Apple. To, you're buying them on the, on the App Store. I well, mean, you know, to the extent that I think that's the biggest concern I think Apple investors should have right now is that the, the, the App Store doesn't need to be the place to go, and that's been a major part of the services growth. So I, I would be worried there. 
So Intel, last I looked, is about a $240 billion market cap company. There are many reasons to be bullish Intel or bearish, but I'm, I'm hard-pressed to understand why this deal, which on the headline at least is valued a little over a billion dollars, is moving the stock an additional 2.5% to the upside and was up 2% today. I mean, again, you can be bullish Intel, that's fine, but I don't know why this moves the needle, at least in the aftermarket, as much as it is right now. All right, again, uh, this deal is according to Dow Jones, so we'll closely monitor this and bring you any more developments as we have them. In the meantime, you get more on chips on our website on CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. Here's what else is coming up on the show. Time to take cover or time to get in? Why one top strategist says a pullback is coming. But that could be the perfect buying opportunity. He'll make his case. And later, a star is born. No, we're not talking Hollywood. We're talking China. We'll explain when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com, that's YahooFinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Hold on tight. A top market strategist says a stomach-churning pullback is underway, but says resist the urge to sell. Let's bring in Tony Dwyer, the chief market strategist at Canaccord Genuity. Tony, welcome. Thanks for having me, Mel. What kind of pullback are we talking about? Almost exactly like the May pullback. You know, you get, it's not that, first of all, think of the term from Marty Zweig, don't fight the Fed. Why isn't it follow the Fed? Because human nature is always there's something wrong when the Fed is cutting rates, so you should fight them. So that, you know, it's don't fight the Fed, but that was a, so it's not Fed related, it's not fundamentally related. It really comes down to, we've had a heck of a move off of the May low, and things got overbought a little bit too enthusiastic, exactly where we were on April 30th when we came on the show and made the call, and this was from last week. So you're saying like a 5% or yeah. so pullback, and at that point you should buy that dip. I, I but absolutely. if you're fully invested here, don't do anything. And, and I've said it so many times on the show that it's almost boring. Until credit shuts down, you want to buy every dip. There's, that's the fact of being at a new high. So uh, I think it's a really important point. As long as credit is open, which it is, you want to buy the dip. As long as there's a race to the bottom in rates, Tony, I mean, it does don't fight the Fed. Does that still hold water? I mean, we're looking at an ECB meeting this week. There's talk about them doing a preemptive cut in order to offset what the fallout could be on the euro. So... If all this is happening, does don't fight the Fed still hold water? There's been a shift, a a major shift. I've even almost called it a generational shift in Fed thinking. You've got unemployment at the lowest level in history or or one of the lowest levels in history. They raised rates because they're worried about the impact on overall inflation because of labor inflation, right? 
and you got 1.6% core PCE, which for the, for the viewers, that's core inflation, you got to be pretty scared. If you got unemployment at the lowest level it's been at, solid gains in average hourly earnings, and the best you got is 1.6%. So what they've been saying in the last month is very important that Steve Leisman picked up on, and not everybody picked up on, in my opinion. It's not focused on enough. They said they don't want to be Japan and now Europe. They're telling you that Japan and Europe are in this negative rate environment that they can't get out of. He told you he doesn't want to be there. That tells you, that tells me, they're going to be a lot more aggressive. And remember, we've been looking for a Fed rate cut in the summertime since December. This is going to get aggressive, in our opinion. Not because the economy is tanking, but if all of a sudden inflation expectations go too low and you start to spiral down in interest rates, you've got a problem. So they're going to try and beat that before it happens. And they may already be too late. So, Tony, if the only thing that we have to worry about is credit shutting down, Tell the folks at home, what do we look for? With that? What does that look like? What does credit shutting down look like? It's, it's a great question. It's corporate credit spreads. So you take a look at high-yield debt, the Barclays high-yield debt relative to treasuries. There's something that, you, that anybody can get. Go to the Chicago Fed um, website. On there, you can find the National Financial Condition Subindices. There are three subindices that measure 105 indicators of credit stress in banking, shadow banking, and the financial markets. I, w- I wake up every day trying to figure out how I'm wrong. So it's not like I come on here and try and figure out you know, how to be bullish. I look to see if the story's got holes in it. And the only times I've seen sustainable holes in buying a dip is when credit, the credit stress indicators are going bonkers. And in the meantime, two of the three indices are at a cycle lower right next to it. So until you get that credit, look at 2018. Look at 2015, 16. Look at 2011. The way that I kind of categorize the economy is it's almost like bumper bowling. You know bumper bowling with your kids? No. You can't. You can't <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, you do. You oh. can't, you can't, you get, can't in get in the gutter, I've right? I've my life. Right. So bumper bowling like is you can't throw the, the ball down the lane oh, and get right. in the gutter. Yeah. So what economically is, there's too much debt. You cannot fix debt with exponentially more debt. This is not going to end well. But when you get up to 3%, you're hitting the left bumper and you come back in. Right. Slows the economy down. You get back to 2%, wow, we get to refi that debt we did above 2.5%. Picks the economy up. Why? Why are the? Could you have a a reacceleration next year? Because rates went from three and a quarter to two percent. Right. There's a massive refi boom going on that's going to end up with reaccel. The whole story in the first half was it's going to slow down, and that's the bull right. story. Now it's the opposite. Tony, good to see you. Thank you, Tony. Thank Blyer, you for letting me rant now. Putting aside a discussion of bumper bowling, because I know that that is going to spark some controversy here on this. I was going to actually yeah. talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should go. Tim. We should go bumper bowl. Uh, look, I, I, I th- it, Tony's talking about potential asset bubbles and leveraged loans and U.S. Treasuries and U.S. corporate bonds. You can't disagree with that. Correlation between stocks and bonds right now is almost one. That concerns me. Still ahead, a big tech meeting on Huawei wrapping up at the White House. We'll take you live to Washington with all the details. Plus, shares of Whirlpool on the move in the after hours after reporting results. We'll break down the key headlines when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Big tech leaders wrapping up a meeting at the White House on Huawei. Let's get to Elon Moy live in Washington with the latest. Elon. 
Melissa, that meeting lasted for just over an hour or so. You can see the CEO of Broadcom leaving there. We also saw the top executives from Micron, Qualcomm, and Cisco earlier in the day. And I'm told that President Trump did attend at least a portion of the meeting. So we know that he's now heard directly from U.S. chip makers and other technology companies about the impact that these restrictions on doing business with Huawei is having on their own bottom lines. Now, the administration here is trying to strike a balance. On the one hand, it's trying to acknowledge that global supply chains are very difficult to unravel, but also it doesn't want to be seen as walking back from its hard stance on Huawei. Earlier today, President Trump spoke to reporters in the Oval Office, and he says the U.S. wants to be a leader in 5G. I know all about Huawei, I know all about uh, 5G, and uh, we're working on it, and we have companies that are now getting very, very strong in that department. And we're going to have 5G, we're going to have the best 5G in the world, just like we have everything else. Our Silicon, Silicon Valley cannot be competed with. Uh, there's nobody that can compete with Silicon Valley for the brain power or for what we do. Now, Trump said he also wants to find out more about a report that Huawei helped North Korea build its wireless infrastructure. So, Melissa, this is one reason that uh, China hawks on Capitol Hill say that Huawei remains a national security threat. Back to you. All right, Elon, thank you. Elon Moy. There's a lot of ways to go on this Elon, uh, on this uh, Huawei story in terms of trading. If there's the impact on the chip makers, but then there's also the potential impact on any sort of China trade deal here. I think the trade deal is the most interesting thing, right? I think the president is trying to walk this fine line. There are bipartisan hawks adamantly against Huawei doing any business with them in any way, shape, or form. Then I think the president says, listen, we can strip out the stuff that's sort of uh, risk to our national security and then still do business. I don't know if you can walk that tightrope, mm -hmm. but I think that's what he's trying to do to get this deal done. With that said... I don't think we're close to getting a deal done. And I'll say it again. I've said it for quite some time. You know, that Washington Post article, I don't know if you guys got a chance to read it, but it's fascinating stuff. Done very well. Uh, basically, they found that over the span of eight years or so, Huawei, along with this, a state-owned enterprise, Panda International, helped develop the wireless infrastructure for North Korea. So effectively, I mean, it sounds like Huawei and this other company, this Chinese company, helped uh, North Korea violate or get around sanctions in terms of building out its own structure? Look, um, I, I think China has been very opportunistic uh, with North Korea, and there's been, there's been enough cooperation that, that you know, all the reasons to want to control uh, not only Huawei, but 68 other companies that were banned. I mean, this is not just Huawei. So uh, it's about reaching into that network and that web. Uh, and I think it's not just the U.S. government, too. It's also interesting that the rest of the European governments, U.K. met today um, and essentially talked about they are waiting until the U.S. is clear they're not going to do anything on this, too. So the rest of the world waits while we kind of figure this one out. I, I hate to make it sound so U.S.-centric, but I don't think the U.S. stands alone on this issue. And, and I do think it's, as Guy said, not something that's easily resolved. In fact, this is right up there with One Belt, One Road, Made in China 2020. Roll out of 5G. Are you kidding me? Who do you think wants to be first? Everybody. Right. Um, here's another big story that we're following overseas. German auto parts supplier Continental Tire slashing its outlook for the rest of this year. The company citing a slowdown in global auto production and changing consumer de demand. And BK, you flagged this. You thought this could be a canary in the coal mine when it comes to yeah. a big automaker's report. That's later this right. Week. So we have Ford reporting later this week. We saw last week that European car sales were terrible. Now Continental comes out and says, listen, things are not that great out there. And what I found kind of interesting about this is that, you know, 
Volkswagen's one of their largest uh, one of their largest uh, customers. You already have the ECB at negative rates, right? So Tony Dwyer is here talking a little bit about you know the fact that the Fed doesn't want to be trapped in this. You start to see stuff like this, and I do think you get the Fed to be a lot more aggressive. We have Ford coming out later this week. We'll see how auto sales here in the U.S., but that is a big part of consumer demand here. So again, talk about a stagnating and slowing economy makes me awful cautious of it. Yeah, I I don't love to hear it. I am long GM, although I'd rather be in GM over Ford. GM has really pared down their exposure to Europe to really as a shareholder, and Ford still has exposure to Europe. Um, So that's where I'd rather be. But, I mean, they all just trade. Well, GM, I should just speak for the one I own, doesn't trade well at all, given the earnings power that it has. I'd like to see them put up another good quarter. Hopefully one day they get credit for it, but it doesn't seem to be the case in the short term. Think about the warnings and the bad news that we've gotten out of a lot of German companies, SAP, Bosch, we also, well, excuse me, not Bosch, not Bosch, BASF, yeah. and then Continental now, ahead well, of an ECB meeting on Thursday. Yeah, and, and one of the things that global markets and investors should be happy about is that the German economy needs the ECB to be as dovish as possible. In fact, it was the Germans that, you know, at times have been the ones pushing back. Uh, and the days before Draghi really asserted himself, the Bundesbank effectively was behind the scenes. But uh, Brian brings up a great point. There's no question, you know, auto sales have been under pressure. And I think that's it. I, I, when I look at U.S. SARS, um, I don't think we're expecting any miracles here. In fact, Peak Auto, I think, was a trade three years ago. I look at GM, it's up 20% off those lows um, with a six, six and a half times earnings multiple. Uh, I agree with Karen. I mean, I, I don't know what it takes to knock it out of this range, mm-hmm. but I feel very comfortable holding this company in this environment. All right. Still ahead, Boeing hitting some more turbulence in today's session. Mm-hmm. Coming up, how you can trade around the negative headlines. Plus, shares of world pool on the move in the after-hour session. We'll tell you what Wall Street had to say about its report. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money 2. Ratings agencies slashing their outlook on Boeing. Let's get to Phil LeBeau for the details. Hey, Phil. And Melissa, we should point out that this is an outlook change, not the actual credit rating. And it's coming from both Fitch and Moody's, both of them taking their credit outlooks for Boeing from stable, moving it down to negative. And they all basically say the same thing. When you look at both of these notes, they cite a host of potential issues regarding the 737 MAX, whether it's can they deliver these uh, or get these planes back in the air by the fourth quarter, as is the assumption. Will things have to be pushed out into next year? Increasing costs, increasing financial exposure. And again, we should point out they are not lowering the credit rating of Boeing. Remember, Boeing reports earnings on Wednesday. Now, it was just last week that the company said you can expect the earnings to be reduced by at least $5 billion uh, when they report their Q2 earnings. And again, that happens before the bell. The conference call with Dennis Mullenberg and what analysts get to ask him, that's really the focus on Wednesday. Also in regards to airlines that have exposure to the MAX, don't forget that American, it has 24 737 MAXs. It will be reporting earnings on Thursday morning. We'll be talking with Doug Parker, CEO of American, not only about the MAX, but really where this airline is as they head into the second or they fly now in the second half of this year. Melissa? All right, Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau in Chicago for us. Let's trade Boeing first of all. I mean, one of the points that Elise Fitch was making, Guy, was that operating margins would be impacted for years to come. I'm not surprised. I don't think it's going to be for years to come. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Fitch should know better than I, I would think. But I'm hard-pressed to believe it's going to be for years to come. I think Boeing will rebound from this. And I understand the stock was down today. It makes sense, especially given the bounce. But I'll say this. The rating agencies historically have been late to the dance. And I think they're late to the dance on this one 
I would still favor being long Boeing here than, than short it or not position it at all. But the risk, the risk of Boeing here is that this, de- this delay goes on for longer and longer, and people just go and order elsewhere. We've already seen several airlines go and switch some orders, and that is the risk here. Not only that, we don't know what other kind of investigations are out there. There's been a lot of stuff out there. So just buying the stock, I think you're subject to all these headline risks that I'd rather not be subject to. Which brings us to the question of how do you trade stocks mm. with headline risks? We saw Very a couple important. of instances even just in today's news. News, Johnson Johnson heading to court over talc cases, alleging that talc and talc products cause ovarian cancer. We have the Equifax settlement, $700 million with the FTC over, pri- or the, over the huge uh, breach, the privacy mm-hmm. breach, Karen. How do you right. separate what is worth taking pause and, and what is worth sort of putting stock into? So it's really hard to know, ultimately. Yeah. But I look at something like Boeing, and obviously we've had tons and tons of bad news. And at some point, the market just gets inured to bad news. It stops going down on news that a month or two ago would have really been negative. So this, this credit news today I really look at is, is really not important to the, to the Boeing story because um, this isn't a credit story. Maybe their margins would be impacted, but still, that wouldn't, I, I don't think the credit story is, is important here. I just think it's, sentiment just gets sort of washed out. And we saw it in Facebook when they had bad news and then more bad news and then more recently, they had what would have been bad news, more, you know, the FTC, more, FTC settlement. That actually was a positive, but they had, uh, was, um, there was, I forget, 100 million, number, a, a very large number of accounts that they had been exposed to. I, I don't know who, but that, I don't even remember the news exactly. That there is my point, <laughs> that at some point the market sort of gets, they're tired of, of hearing bad news and reacting to it. And we've seen it. We saw Facebook bottom. We saw, I think, I think Boeing bottomed a month or so ago. Well, how about a case like a Johnson Johnson, where ta- talc oh. is a tiny, tiny percentage of revenues, and yet we did see the stock move lower to December, and we're back to those December lows. But I think it's a company that people were struggling with, uh, their, not only just their consumer products business, but also their medical products business, uh, and then their, their pharma pipeline. I, I, again, I've made the argument recently on the show that I actually I like J&J relative to their, their big pharma business relative to the peers, because they're growing high single digits. That's something the other guys are not doing. I think both of these companies, back to your original question, in an environment where you're worried about global growth, um, these are both very defensive companies with fantastic balance sheets, and I think you gravitate towards them uh, until the news flow changes from here. All right, breaking news out of Washington on the debt ceiling. Contessa Brewer's got all the details. Contessa. Melissa, it looks like we may have a deal here on the debt ceiling. The president has just tweeted, quote, I'm pleased to announce that a deal has been struck with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, and House Minority Leader Kevin McConnell. McCarthy on a two-year budget and debt ceiling with no poison pills. The president then replying to his own tweet says this was a real compromise in order to give another big victory to our great military and vets. Remember, there had been this standoff over how to consider funding for the uh, VA mission, whether that was going to consider it on parity with the military and non-military spending. According to the president, a deal's been done, and this one a two-year deal. That was a big relief because uh, the House goes into August recess on Friday. Melissa? Yep, just made it by the deadline. Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer. I would think this is good news for the market. On the other hand, this removes one more reason why the Fed might act and might act aggressively next week. Well, you can't say the market's been, well, who knows, but it's hard to make an argument that the market's been concerned about this as we sit around all-time highs. So it's not bad news for the market, but I can't believe we're going to get a meaningful rally on the back of this headline. This goes back to one of Tony's statements and something we talk about, though. You know, in terms of asset bubbles, U.S. government debt, the the federal debt level is at 
essentially post-World War II highs uh, in a 10-year recovery. How do you explain that? Talk about asset bubbles that are created by too much money out there and a lack of fiscal responsibility. And at some point, the U.S. government's going to have to pay for it. Uh, right now, it looks like yields are going lower. Yeah, not right but, now, with, but, with what, what right. percentage of the world's sovereign paper at that's Zero exactly right. right. That, right. No, it's fine. It's so so the, yeah. the asset, essentially the credit bubbles that are European debt um, and then leveraged loans, you know, maybe look, make the U.S. look like a better relative value. Right. But um, there's no way we should have this debt level 10 years into recovery. Yeah. But that, so, I mean, the point is that's the reason why the market hasn't reacted to this what, negatively or positively is because everybody knows you have to come and buy U.S. debt at this point in time if you're an investor because you get 2 percent versus negative percent. So, I mean, do the math, care of the nine. That's better. Much more fast money after this Lewis quick break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Snap reporting earnings after the bell tomorrow. The stock has had an incredible run this year, up more than 150%. And one options trader is betting that the rally will continue. Mike goes in San Francisco with the options action. Hey, Mike. Yeah, actually, there might be several options traders that are betting that the rally could continue because we saw calls outpace puts by about four to one today on above average volume. This is a stock that typically moves quite sharply on earnings. It's averaged nearly 17 percent over the last eight quarters. And this week, it's implying a move of about 14 percent by the end of the week. An example of one of the bullish bets that we saw was the August 15 calls. Somebody spent 84 cents to buy 1,365 of those. As inexpensive as those calls seem, that basically represents a move of about 12% by August expiration to the upside, at least just for these calls to break even. That would be in just over three weeks. All right. Thanks, Mike, for that. Guy, what do you think of Snap? I tell you, our friend Dan Nathan, who appears on this show regularly, has been bullish Snap. And I'm with Mike on this one. Options are saying it's going higher. You can make a lot of compelling arguments why the stock should be lower, but it's not. I think it continues to go higher from here. As much as it makes no sense to me, the stock goes higher from here. All right. For more options action, check out the full show Fridays, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Take a look at Whirlpool bouncing around in the after-hour session. The stock was up big after reporting an earnings beat. It also raised its forecast, but it's since come down. The call is tomorrow. So what we have is a press release, and they did say that price increases were, uh, you know, offset a lot of the impacts from higher input costs, raw materials. Right. So that's why, why the, stock the stock was is- up in the beginning, right? So they came out and said, listen, we've got tariffs, we've got all these raw material costs, but we're able to raise prices. That's a double-edged sword, though, because they also said that sales volume could go lower. So that's what the market's trying to figure out right now, is that are these increased prices going to reduce the amount of sales that they have? Again, conference call tomorrow. Final trade time, Tim. Yeah, we talked about autos today. Again, let me reiterate that I think GM, which doesn't report to August, is a fantastic buy at 6.2 times earnings, and they've reiterated every time and hit and beat. Karen. Yes, in the retail space, I do like Target, even though it's had a really nice run. I think it's still got some room to go, not expensive relative to the Walmarts of the world. BK Brian Kelly. You know, when a market doesn't do what you think it should do, then you need to go to the other side of it. So look at oil today. It was supposed to be up 4 or 5%. You sell XOP. That was like a riddle. Yeah. Okay. I heard Karen crush OA number one. Yes. Number two, Delta Airlines all-time high. I think it continues to go higher. Mad Money's up next. Stay tuned. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. 
Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.